Today on Star Talk Special Edition, we brought in our geek in chief, the one and only Charles Liu. We talk about all kinds of things like our experience with time relative to a beam of light. We also talk about what our favorite objects were in Star Trek that came true. What else? We also wonder what direction should you launch a rocket? Is it straight up or is it sideways? That and more coming up on Star Talk Special Edition. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Special Edition. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. And as always, for these editions, we got Gary O'Reilly. Gary. Hey, Neil. Good to be here again. Former professional footballer mm-hmm. and professional announcer. Yes. And thank you to, to the soccer universe for lending you to us. Well, that's very kind of you. Yeah. And we got Chuck Nice. Chuck, always good to see you, man. Hey, that's right. And to the professional soccer universe, you're not getting them back. <laughs> we got them. <laughs> we got them now. You suckers. And, you and lost. So this is a grab bag cosmic queries. Anytime the grab bag goes everywhere, guys, we got to pull out the big guns. Ooh. All right. We, we <laughs> open the shed and we pull out. We pull, we pull out. Our guest has wheels. Only, Undisputed, Charles Liu, (laughs) friend and colleague. He's a professor of astronomy and physics at the City University of New York, based in Staten Island, and with the Graduate Center there. And he's got a podcast called The Universe, which which showcases uh, up and coming (laughs) science talent. We need some of that on this landscape. So good to see that happening. And so here's what happens: You, you, if you don't know Charles, he will bail us out of anything we don't otherwise know. And it works every time. That's right. He's the geek in chief. <laughs> all hail. That's right. Uh, all the geek hail. In chief. Charles, cocktail party Lou, because if there's anything <laughs> you want to know, he's the guy at the cocktail party that knows That's right, everything. Right. And I count myself high among the ranks of in the Geekiverse, but in the Geekiverse, the scale is infinite. <laughs> so, <laughs> however far I am, <laughs> you can be geekier. And that's the man in the studio right now. Okay. So, you, this is a Cosmic Queries, or just Queries. It's a special edition. So, so Gary, uh, uh, Chuck, what? who's first? I'll go first. All right. Okay. Hey, Gary, these, Gary, go for these it. These are from our Patreon audience, and we love them and bless them for their curiosity. And this is Chris Hampton's question. Could it be that our perpetual experience of time is because of our perpetual movement through the fabric of space-time? Ooh, I like that. So, Charles, let me add to that. If nothing moved in the universe, Mm -hmm. would we have any perception of time at all? We would. But it's a strange, strange concept, right? Because as it turns out, many people will say, when one interpretation of the special theory of relativity, which talks about space and traveling through space and traveling through time, is that everything is always moving at the speed of light. But... It's speed of light, not through regular three space, but through four-dimensional space-time. So you and I, we move through space and we have mass, we have space-time, and we're moving sort of at the equivalent of a speed of light. A photon, which is a piece of light, has no mass, and it's moving always at the speed of light also. So in a sense, 
uh, in this four-dimensional way of thinking instead of a three-dimensional way of thinking, we are all always moving at the speed of light. But light itself is moving through space faster than we are moving through space only. So this perception of time is always a matter of what we perceive based on where we are and how we're moving through three-dimensional space, but also four-dimensional space time. Why am I more confused than, okay. than what? I was going to say, <laughs> first of all, I'm, I hate to do this, but you got to tell me, why are we always moving at the speed of light? Because I know that's what everybody is asking right now. now. Right this what minute. What do you mean when you say, right. why are we always moving at the speed and of light? Translated from Chuck, what were you smoking before you began this interview? <laughs> okay. Smoking a little, translation of, right there. a little bit of Albert Einstein 1905. Right. Okay. Um, think about it this way. If you are traveling, say, in one dimension, you measure how many, say, miles per hour you're going along in, the road. In a straight right? line. In a, line. In a straight okay. line, right. But if right. you're moving in two dimensions, say you're moving diagonally, like, like an airplane, right, moving up diagonally up during takeoff, it's moving both in the horizontal direction and the vertical direction. And when at you the, take At the same the, time. Yeah. And so when you take the combination of those, then you wind up with a new velocity vector. And the amount of speed you're going doesn't look the same as either right along the ground or vertically upward. Right. So it's okay. adding this vector thing. Now, imagine space-time being that. Space is the horizontal axis. Time, the fourth dimension, shall we say, is a so vertical oh, So all three dimensions of space are this one axis right now. Right. Okay. One okay. axis. Collapse them all together. Time being now the exactly. vertical right. axis. Okay. Or, or, or the fourth dimension. Okay, let's keep yes. going. So now okay. go. It's not that hard. So No, we ain't no. done yet. We ain't done. Don't, <laughs> I, don't be saying it ain't hard yet. No, no. It, done. It, yeah, yeah, go then, ahead. Then you do the same kind of thing where you use kind of like a Pythagorean theorem, right? right. For what space-time does in terms of measuring distances and velocities and so forth. And so you wind up with the velocity that is what the speed of light would be just through space. So we all... Everything is moving at that same velocity, but depending on how we're moving through space, we also move through time a little bit differently. That vector, which toggles back and forth between the vertical and the horizontal, is always constant. Wait, wait. So, wait, just hold on. So, if we're just sitting and having this conversation, yes. we are moving in time. Yeah, time. And so, our, our we're moving like vertically right now in time because yes. we're not really going anywhere. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You know okay. we're not right. So, now, light is moving not only in time, but also in space. Yes. So space. now it's got, let's call it a 45-degree angle up oh, there. that's the difference. See, light has no mass. So it's always right. going horizontally only. So, so light particles don't actually age. We age as we sit here. But so they're constantly in the present. Yes. In their own present. Exactly. Oh, no, they're constantly in their own in present. Our, in, in their own present. That's right. One of the hypotheses that was trying to decipher whether or not the cosmological redshift was actually expansion of the universe or not was something proposed many decades ago uh, by people like Fred Hoyle, uh, who suggested that maybe the reason we see cosmological redshift, the, the things moving, mm -hmm. yeah, things appearing redder expansion than they of the universe. are, yeah. right? Uh, yes, not expansion, exactly. but just that light as it travels, it gets tired. It loses energy right. as it moves, almost as if it had mass. That was called the tired light hypothesis. Yeah. Right. But does it and, still and travel so, uh, at the speed of light? If it, if it now sort of denuded its way through 
Really, what Gary just said is, what is redshift? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's Thank really you, what right. he just said. That, that's for another time. But right. basically, mm -hmm. it's the way the, cos the cosmos moves. It expands throughout, right? What used to be tiny is now huge. But as far as relativity goes and how our motion through space-time goes, right? We are this way and light Vertical. is that way. Right. Horizontal. Vertical, horizontal, gotcha. and okay. we wind up with That's this kind so of. who's going? Uh, who's going at an angle between us? We do when we move. When we move, right? Got it. If right. we're on a spaceship or on an airplane or something like right. that, we are going diagonal. Then there's an angle because we're not right. only moving in space but because also because we're yeah yes because okay. we're going and, up and, and right. horizontal at the, time. Mm -hmm. the same right. time. Right. That's okay. why. That's why All one right. of my uh, college professors who really understood this super well explained to all of us that you can do special relativity using hyperbolic trigonometry. And he always thought, well, that was much easier. And oh, well, who does who know that? Who does that, I mean, right? come yeah. on. Why wouldn't you? Who, who doesn't do that? <laughs> which, which was cool, uh, but I never quite understood it so well. So. Yeah. All right. Wow. Well, you're making me feel good, Charles, because if you don't was... quite understand it, I think you're in a better place. <laughs> this is a tough thing, guys. Yeah, man, it is. Wait, just to, just to put the nail in this coffin. Are, so, Charles, <laughs> Isn't it just being provocative to say we are moving at the speed of light? What you're saying is we're moving at our natural speed through time, whatever we want to call that. Yes. Light is moving at its natural speed through space. But to say we are moving at the speed of light, that's a little needlessly provocative, it seems to me. It might be. That kind of phrasing probably is an attention-grabbing device more than anything else. Yeah, but it yeah, also yeah. implies with it a need for you to understand what it means to move through space time. Correct. It forced me to into that. Very good. Exactly. It forced right. me to think about that yeah. differently. Right. Because exactly. I'm naturally just yeah. moving forward in time at one yep. second per second. And That's the right. light is naturally going through space, right. not aging at all. We're just right. doing our thing. That's okay. right. However, what it did do for me was it allowed me to visualize the axes. Yeah. Yeah, that you were talking mm -hmm. about. That's really yeah. what it did. Mm -hmm. So, all right, all right, cool. Next one. All right, Chuck. this is Kevin the Kevin the Sommelier. Okay. Oh. And Kevin the Sommelier says, "Glad the Luniverse is oh, nice, <laughs> nice. The Luniverse says, if has we are landed. Able to, the Luniverse has landed. The Luniverse has landed. <laughs> if we are able to achieve warp capability one day, will we experience time dilation in accordance to Einstein's general relativity? Tebby, if Star Trek is correct." They age at the same rate as Starfleet in San Francisco. P.S. Neil, get your hands on some Hartford Old Vine Zinfandel from Russian River. Oh, nice, River. nice. Ooh, Russian okay. River. Excellent. What? Love Russian Napa's River. Napa's not cool enough anymore? <laughs> <laughs> no, Russian River do does it right, and Old Vines can't argue with that. Yep. yep. So, yep. Thank love you. Old Vines. Mm, thank All right. You. Yeah. Well, well Kevin, right. the, the bottom line is that Star Trek does it wrong, right? In order for. How, yeah, I know. Excuse me. I know. Excuse me. I know. I know. I just said. How I know what I just dare said. you? I know what you I just take said. That take that back, back right now. now. <laughs> take it back. Star Trek is completely correct in the Star Trek universe. Star Trek, mm. when it comes to warp speed and time dilation, is not correct when it comes to our understanding of the theory of relativity. So they, you're no. saying they shouldn't age while they're doing their high warp maneuvers, right? What What should be right. happening? The problem is, you see, the high warp maneuvers are faster than the speed of light. Yes. And if an object right. moves through our current space at faster than the speed of light, then it can violate right. causality. Yes. And so 
that whole right. aspect of relativity and so forth is necessary to make sure that the arrow of time and the way that we uh, know, understand history and the changing of the universe stays okay. The so causes when, occur before events. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. When you have a circumstance Rather than after like, them. <laughs> right, when you have a circumstance like warp speed, right, that goes out the window. This object, because it's in a subspace bubble, right, right. by the Alcubierre right. drive or whatever, mm-hmm. it goes through so fast that it can actually outrace a radio signal to a distant star. And so you can tell something that happened before the radio signal was even arriving, which means that you violate causality. The way that they get around that problem is to say that communications also goes faster than speed also of light. Also go through subspace. Right. So you know those subspace right. communications and so forth, right? And what that means is that I can still radio ahead, not with a radio though, but with something that's going faster than my spaceship is going, mm. which is faster than the speed of light at that moment. And therefore, causality is not violated because all information that in I that before and after in that retained. subspace is retained. Got it. Okay. So, right. Bottom line is, as soon as you throw in these fanciful ideas of how to go faster than light, then you have to assume that your communications also go faster than light, and that that light is no longer a speed limit for objects in the universe. Therefore, causality can be preserved because you have everything able to go faster. So, am I correct that that's why the wormhole works as? Uh, it, with without that violation, because you're not actually going faster than the speed of light, moving through the medium right, of right, space right. Yeah, time. It seems to me a, a wormhole should be just clean, through a it. clean step through. It should just be yeah. clean, clean step through. Yes. Except that wormholes at the moment have not been determined to exist. No, so, no. But wait, Rick in has, the start. Well, they are in Star Trek. Rick, Rick has wormholes. Rick has wormholes. Doctor Strange has wormholes. Don't tell me we don't have wormholes. Oh, we have wormholes. <laughs> Does the universe have wormholes? <laughs> okay, I love fine. all those wormholes. But uh, yes, do we have one right now? That's that's from okay. It's faster than light. Rick and Morty. It's good enough for Rick and Morty. It's good enough for me. That's right, Morty. Uh, that's right. Thank you, <laughs> Chuck. Did we really need the the, the drunken burp? Was was that really necessary? Yeah. Yeah, you can't do Rick without it. So who's next? Who's got the who's got the next query? All right. Uh, next up is Manny Baez from New York City. All my life, All I've right. always thought there is some connection from these three subjects: time, universe, and dreams. Like Ooh. as in one is dependent on the other in order to unlock the center of this pyramid for answers. It may be that the answer can be a combination of science and philosophy, but do you think this pyramid of subjects has anything to do with answering questions such as? the value of life or why we exist in this Whoa. universe. Whoa. Deep Danny, dive. What a, I, what a wonderful question. That, and and linking, yeah. you know, linking the, the universe with some sort of metaphysics is something that has been done since the very beginning. In fact, Neil will tell you that in the history of science, until such time as there was a true separation between empirical science and metaphysics, it was called natural philosophy. And we were always trying to philosophize until people like Galileo said, you know what, I don't think we should really mix like how beautiful is a tree or, or how righteous is a star. Let's just talk about the tree and the star and then worry about the philosophy separate. Yeah, in fact, the, Newton's most famous book, 
uh, which we call Principia, the full title of that is Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy. Uh, and so the very natural well philosophy is part of that framing. Great of, point, right. Yeah. So your, your ideas are great, man. They're right on target. And what I would say is the following. As far as we know right now, human dreams are limited in our existence, our perception. There is no evidence yet that our dreams are actually connected with the rest of the universe. That's the key here in terms of tying them together. For us and for our existence, dreams and time and the universe are late. Charles, let me, let me throw this at you. Sure. Premonitions. Yes. You can't get the future before you're out of the present. But well, I've, had a, this, I've had premonitions that have come true. Right. So that's the future well, before has. and in right. the present. So how, and, how and does that connect? Or is it, or is it, wait a minute, or is it a convergence of the past and all of your past that, that converges on one moment because the surroundings uh, inform you in such a way that you say, oh, this is going to happen. And so it appears to you that it has already happened, but really it's just your vast past experience coming together in one point Pray another event. <laughs> well can I, said. Can I explain one thing? Uh, I'm 19 years of age. I have not played in my football club's first 11, right? So I'm, I'm a way off of that. And Bummer. about 10 days before it actually happens, I have mm -hmm. a dream. I'm running towards my own goal. I'm in the center of the field, and I get punched in my left cheek. <laughs> Total wow. Random. So... I'm playing Random. in my full debut about 10 days later. I'm running towards my own goal in the center of the field. I get punched in my left cheek. I'm like, wow. you are kidding me. Yellow card? No, Red card? carried on. It was allowed. Carried back. on? Yeah, we played a different game back then. It was more rollerball. No! <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. For that, yeah. <laughs> but for that to be part and parcel, Okay. Of that dream way ahead of time was just so random. So It's random. uncanny, right? Well, here, here is the point, right? We have not yet been able to scientifically confirm mm -hmm. whether these things are random or whether they are actually connected. Think about this way. The human brain is essentially designed to make predictions of the future, right? We are spending our entire existences from the early days, right? We predict that if that lion over there will come after me in this direction, therefore I will run in that direction. We predict later on right? That the stock market will go up, therefore we will invest, right? These predictions do not always come true. In fact, they rarely come true, but there are thousands of them. The brain is a prediction generator. So could it have been that your brain in its generation of predictions, which dreams to some extent are, right? Go on and had so many predictions in your lifetime that just that one random one came true. Just by chance. And you remember the hits and you forget the misses. I knew, the misses. I, I knew which stadium I was in. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was just right. as dreamt. So, you know, it so just, it's really remarkable that way too. Yeah. And then there's a second factor, which I only recently learned from my psychologist friends. Apparently, we humans will adjust our memories. To match. Backwards. Yes. We humans right. actually have a, a, it's hard to know whether it's a defect or whether it's a reality truth thing. 
we re every time we remember things, mm. our brain is recreating the memory. It's drawing it right. out. It's not like a typical, say, computer where it comes out and brings out a right. perfect copy. It goes through a it's lot. Not a, of, it's not a movie. Right, it goes through a lot of a filters and it resets things. And people wind up misremembering, not on purpose, not mm. to be lying, but their brains have actually shifted what they thought was real from the past. So could it be that right. when you got hit in the face, yeah. and maybe you know it was similar to feeling being hit in the face in the dream, your brain set it up so that thinking back to the dream, it wound up matching the two pieces and getting them confused. It is possible. And again, like I said, so many of you things are speculation, mm. and it's hard for us to establish what is actually scientifically causal or the case, but that does happen. And the part of the problem, Gary, is that you didn't write that down when you had the dream. That's part of the challenge here of verifying it scientifically. Mm. So that leaves whatever your dream was susceptible to exactly what Charles is saying about when you recover the dream, say, wow, this was bang on to exactly what well, happened. Well, the dream, the dream was about 10 days before the actual event happened. Right. So it's, yeah, it's you should write down your dreams yeah. every single day. Okay. And 999 times, it won't come true. And one time it comes true, yeah, so I, you can't got, then claim special clairvoyance. I've got to get me a dream diary. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. to, I guess to wrap up Manny's question, mm. you know, the idea is basically to say dreams definitely affect human experience yeah. and how humans interact with the universe. Does the rest of the universe, mm -hmm. however, sense those dreams or react as a result of them? That is something we don't know. Probably not. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very probably not. But, you know, People still claim it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and, and listen, it informs a lot of people on what they do. So there is a significance there, no matter right. what, because there are a lot of people who are reacting to their lives based upon, you know, that, what they think is that information. But, and by the way, there's uh, another thing, Charles, I think uh, a dream, as you know, is a neurosynaptic firings of your brain. Yes. Yes. And should that be fundamentally different from deep thoughts you might be having? while you're not asleep. So, so what I find int intriguing is almost every movie that shows somebody who, by some bolt of lightning or through drugs, becomes insanely brilliant, yeah. okay? Like mm. the movie Lucy or the one phenomenon, right. I think it yeah. was. Yeah. Oh, those, oh, those so, kind of Okay, drugs. no, no, no. In those <laughs> movies, in every one of them, the person can control things with their brain. And I'm intrigued right. by that because if they're just really smarter, they should just simply solve problems faster or better. Right. And they, they somehow the urge in the storytelling is to have the power of the brain jump out of itself and then manipulate, right. and metaphysical. And manipulate physical objects in your environment. In almost every case, that's the power they give them. But from the smartest person on earth to the dumbest person on earth, neither of them can move stuff in front of them without touching them. So to say, let's make the smart person even smarter, now they can spin tops and, and, and float objects? I, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. get it. However, the truly smart people know how to get other people to move stuff for them. <laughs> so... <laughs> Give me another question. Right. Chuck, what do you have? Alright, here we go. This is Camilla Kaftal who says, hello, Dr. Lou and Dr. Tyson. Camilla here from Baltimore, Maryland. Right. 
How is the cosmic microwave background temperature so constant everywhere in the universe when there are hot stars like our sun? Oh, oh, oh beautiful question. Conspiracy. Oh, oh Charles. Temperature, temperature. No, Take no. that one, Charles. Camilla, you've asked a great question, which sometimes astronomers don't do a good job of explaining outwardly. The cosmic microwave background does get contaminated by foreground objects. So if we were just measuring, like say, for example, the WMAP satellite or the COPE satellite did, the cosmic microwave energy that's reaching us from the cosmos, right? what will happen is that we will pick up the stars in the front, so the galaxy right. that is we're in, and the cosmic microwave background in the back. The trick that astronomers do, and it's not a trick, it's really hard work, is actually getting rid of that foreground signal. So your insight is exactly right, Camilla. The cosmic microwave background is contaminated. In fact, there was a result that reported some new discovery in the cosmic background, and it was later found that they did not properly remove the effects of our galaxy. Correct. And that happens so, a lot. Yeah. Uh, foreground. It's like the erase. It's like the erase feature on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> foreground contamination is actually one of the things in astronomy that we have to worry about much more than, say, a typical laboratory physicist. Uh, they can try to remove as much of the foreground as possible, but we're stuck looking through the gas and the dust and the stars yeah. and the galaxies. Yeah, we and, can't change sense, our angle of view. Cool. Yeah, 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 we can't change it. But we very like cool. It, you know, very yeah, cool. Fun stuff. Charles, thank you. Yeah, Gary, what do you got? Okay, Kyle M. Um, if a black hole is infinitely dense, why are some bigger than others? Mm. Ooh. Answer, please. Uh, first of all, Kyle, you know, it's not always about size. Okay, that's number one. <laughs> oh, well, I, that sounds like somebody <laughs> might need some size. I, I, I don't know. Chuck, I, I'll, oh, I'll, Chuck. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you... Uh, to ponder that one. Yeah. Uh, here's the story. All right. A, a black hole is not infinitely dense. The only part of a black hole that's infinitely dense is its singularity. See, a black hole, the event horizon that surrounds it, the edge, shall we say, of the black hole, contains a certain amount of mass. Within that mm-hmm. container, the average mm-hmm. mass is always less than infinite. It is just in the right. spot where we think exists, the singularity, where the density is infinite. I hope that helps. Wait, wait, just to be clear, just to be clear. So when we describe the size of a black hole, it's the size uh-huh. of the event horizon just for practical purposes to describe how big things are. But the matter is deep within. Normally, we think of the size of the Earth as the edge of the matter of the Earth. But the black hole, we just go to the event horizon and we're happy right. with that. Right. We do not okay. know what's inside. We don't, we don't know. it's distributed. Correct. So if that's the mm-hmm. case, right, it means that if it were a star at one point, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about a supermassive at the center of sure. a galaxy. I'm talking about just a star that collapses in mm-hmm. on itself. We know that that star had a certain mass before it collapsed in upon Correct. itself. So if it had a certain mass before it collapsed in upon itself, how can the density of that mass become infinite at one single mm-hmm. point? if it started off with a finite mass. The mass itself doesn't become infinite, but the density becomes infinite, right? Okay. So, for example, uh, mass, let's say something is, is the, the, the weight of my head or something. 
if I squish mm-hmm. my head very small, uh, as a black hole right. would do if I fall mm-hmm. into it, right? Uh, it would become more dense, but not more massive. It would still take okay. the same amount of energy or force to lift my head, but you would need a smaller right. container. Why are you using your head so as an example? Next great, wait, what, what? this is morbid, uh, Chuck. That, that, I was going to say, that was a painful <laughs> It just uh, popped exam. into my head. What can I say? Use a watermelon <laughs> or something, you know. Uh, yeah. I don't have so a head for those kinds then. of jokes. So, so, so Chuck Lowe, Chuck yes. Lowe here's yes. the deal. So, uh, if that's the yes. case, how can something become infinitely smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller? At some point, doesn't it have to just be so tightly compact that it can't get any smaller? Great question, Chuck. And in fact, it is the people who study matter, mostly quantum physicists, who say that, yes, there must be a limit. But when Albert Einstein established the general theory of relativity, he did not see it. He did not, he was not happy with the fact that the mathematical equations of space-time allowed for the existence of these singularities. That's why they're called singularities, right? Because they, they don't follow the mathematical rules that you would expect for uh, the space. It's where God is dividing by zero. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who said that? You never heard that one? <laughs> no. That's, that's an one. interesting that's point. That's crazy. But yet, it's, that kind of, crazy. it's kind of, you know, Neil is right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. You're dividing by zero. You're creating something that should not exist. If you've never done but that before, do, it, do it on your calculator. But can, can you then make this thing that's reducing inside disappear mm-hmm. altogether? Or does it reappear somewhere else? Don't know. The current hypotheses suggest that black holes are not, say, tears in space-time, in which case the matter or the mass would flow from one point to another, but rather a kind of like a, like a hernia in space-time, a, a water balloon where the mass goes in and kind of collects in a space or a time or something that's not part of the space-time we have access to. And then over many, many trillions and trillions of years, slowly gets expended outward again through a process called Hawking radiation. So check it out. Because Neil said, do it. I just divided by zero on my... So the first time I did it, I did zero by divided by zero, and it said invalid format. Please do not do. <laughs> and then the second, and then the second time I put one divided by zero, and it said can't divide by zero. And then the third time I did it, and it went no. <laughs> and the, the fourth time you did it, said I already told you no. I told right? you. Right. Go to your room. <laughs> God, go but to your but room. it's the examination of these singularities and unusual points in the equation of space-time that have led to these amazing discoveries and thought processes like black holes, like the Big Bang, like those kinds of things that we're wondering about today that fire our imagination. Let's go to the next question. This special edition of Cosmic Queries. Okay, all these questions. Yeah, thank you, Neil. All these questions from our Patreon audience. So, uh, Thank you very much for your curiosity. Mm-hmm. Craig Cordwell from the UK. Please, can you briefly explain how it is more efficient and easier to launch a rocket going directly up rather than taking off similar oh. to an airplane does? Uh, so Ooh. answers, please. Mm. Well, uh, uh, now, Gary, could you please do that again, but do it in Craig Cordwell's <laughs> accent? Because you're both Brits. Okay, I don't know what part. Of, what I, part of I don't know what part of the UK. Craig, how, how about if he's from Cornwall? I, I love Cairn, the Cornwall. Cairn, Cairnwell? Yeah. 
Kerneo. Yeah. Or is it, uh, Craig from Kerneo here. Please, can you briefly <laughs> explain <laughs> who it is more of... Oh, it's how embarrassing. Sorry, Craig. Because oh. <laughs> you might be... Okay. He, he might be from Glasgow. And in which case, it'd be oh, very, very true. different. Or it could be a... Oh, sc- that's true. You know, it could be a... Sc- oh, sorry, it could be yeah. all sorts of things. So I'll just have to go Liver with... Liverpudlian. Oh, my God, no. Um, Liverpudlian. Yeah, it could be a Liverpudlian. Um, I can't... Can't dial up a Scouse accent on demand. Um, <laughs> Sorry, oh well, not to worry. All right, asking too much. Yeah, um, all right. Obviously. So, so the the answer to the question actually is that we do try to launch our rockets horizontally. When you see on the launch pad a rocket going upward vertically, the only reason it tries to go up first is because it's trying to build up speed because it will then start curling sideways. It starts moving horizontally because the best way to get into orbit or out of the gravitational well of a planet is to travel at a tangent, not straight up vertically. It's only up vertically to get off of the ground, away from the launch pad, over mountains and so forth. And then the trajectory starts to curl, right? That's why, for example, we launch from Florida. Because it goes up for a short while and then goes horizontally over the Atlantic Ocean. So our sense that we launch vertically is actually just those first few seconds of our perception. Later on, if you want to go further and further upward while you're in orbit, you move tangentially. You move horizontally. And that actually has been shown mathematically and and engineering-wise to be the most efficient way to gain altitude up in space. Once you're outside of the slowing down effects of the atmosphere uh, of the Earth. Yeah. So, Charles, here's something fucking amazing. You ready? Yes. Go ahead. The exact trajectory of a rocket. Do you know what yeah. it is? It's, it's an exact trajectory. Do you know? I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it, is, it, is the, it is the inverted, the, the physically inverted solution to the Brachistochrone problem. No kidding. Yes. Wow. Yes. I was going to guess catenary, but because no, no, makes catenary, much more sense. It's way, think about yeah, it. Makes much more it's, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, of course, the ice cream cone problem. Everybody knows mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Gotta, yeah. So here, there was a, there was a, was it Bernoulli? Someone posed a, some famous uh, mathematician of, of, from the 19th century, posed the question, might have been the 18th century, Pose the question, if I have a ball up here and I want it to get down over, down, but over to the right a little, what path should I take? Should I put a plank connecting the two of them and roll it down? Will that get there faster than if it drops first and then curls around at the bottom? Okay, is there a shape? Is there an arc that I could drop this ball where it'll get to that point at a lower elevation, the fastest. This turned out to be a very hard problem, and it is not the straight line. There is a curve where it builds up speed falling, and then that speed gets forward, moves it forward very quickly. And the minimization of that is that you learn this in advanced mechanics, right? And I think that's when I did, uh, Charles. We, uh, what, what class did you learn that? I think I was, I might have learned it. I think we, we got it as a bonus from my uh, calculus. Yeah, professor. yeah, yeah. My calculus teacher in high school, brilliant man. And in fact, went on to write some really great books, you know, review books about calculus. And he would throw in just these little things 
Yeah. Oh, by the way, you know, that's what kind of made math class cooler because math can be just like learning grammar or learning punctuation or learning vocabulary. And learn extra little tricks and tricks and fun fun things. But when you put them into like, hey, was this useful in some way? Was this a thing that you actually find out? You know, those are the opportunities where you make connections and go, aha, this math stuff is cool. You bring it to life, Charles. Guys, 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 we have digressed from the ice cream cone principle. <laughs> <laughs> On purpose. We no, need no, no. to know what... We haven't diverged. <laughs> we've, we've embraced it, Chuck. As Gary just uh, said, okay. it brings it to life. Bring now I bet there are thousands of people out in the podcast first that are wondering, what's the ice cream cone problem? And now they're going to look it up. And now they're going to learn math, which is based on ice cream because they like it. It livens up the subject. It but makes I, people I, say, I, oh, it's What not is the just- ice cream cone problem? No sprinkles. You said that uh, the in, the exact inverse of a trajectory of oh, oh, a rocket a pr- is the exact inverse of the ice cream cone. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I was not principle or whatever. <laughs> Brachistochrone problem. <laughs> oh, bra- oh, 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 Excuse me. The Brachistochrone, which is which is very much like um, uh, cookies and cream. <laughs> oh, it's a new bra- flavor. <laughs> the Brachistochrone. It's a new. It's a new Ben and Jerry's Brachist. Let me tell you something, Neil. If they ever give you a Ben and Jerry's ice cream, you better name it Bacrista Cream. <laughs> <laughs> but my only Actually, point is this: this math exercise yeah, is yeah. designed to find the fastest minimum energy path between these two points. That's awesome. And so the right. and it's an so S-shape. the minimum. No, just down and and mm. to the point. You take that, flip it okay. up. It is the minimum energy expenditure minimum. into orbit. Because if you go up too high first, you wasted too much energy gaining altitude. Yeah. If you go gotcha. downwind first, you're wasting too much energy trying to go horizontal. Trying to go so horizontal. It's the, it's the perfect uh, inversion of that problem. That's Is there I, a way kind of, to launch by spinning? Ooh, and then launching what a, that one. Oh, yeah. This, this that, is oh. actually a startup company. I heard about this um, just recently. Yeah. A startup company. Would you like to buy my share? Crank up. Yeah. No, no, Charles, I know. Yeah. Go. No, go. Yeah. Yes. It's, 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 a, it's, a, yes. it's a, they want to spin something to high, yes. to launch speeds. Yep. There you go. Right. And right. then they so, launch. So they're not it. even using a rocket. It's just. Yeah. Right. It's, no, the, it's the like what's what's the, what space. would be the equivalent of when you put the astronaut in the center? Center like an old fashioned, yeah, be like uh, a medieval yeah, yeah, catapult. Yeah. No, you, you could not, you could <laughs> yeah, not like throw a an astronaut. Catapult. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a trebuchet, but it's like it's, a medieval catapult. It spins you can't around send an astronaut and then releases at a certain right. Point. You can't send an astronaut in there though. The they'll, insides will turn to jelly. I mean, they're gonna leave the catapult oh, for real at like a thousand miles an hour, you know, just like sudden whoosh, you know, that kind of thing. You, you no, will, the G, the you will G forces will, will kill you. It would be right. too much. Yeah. So, so you're sending mm-hmm. like payloads oh, that can damn. handle that sort of thing. But this is still so, in but it's about, it's about payload. Yeah. 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 But, but depends on what be, you want to say. I mean, okay. So if uh, you've got so, no innards to explode so, <laughs> or turn to DNA, <laughs> then, right. then it's everything's fine. Have, does this and have a commercial? And everything's fine. Prospect it, in it terms could. of, as you That's say, point, right? Yeah, you don't you don't use a rocket right. to put yeah. stuff into space. Well, the the yeah. it has it has been thought for a long time that the easiest way or the least energy way to get payloads up into space is just create a tether, basically an elevator going from Stay ground to, heaven, to thousands of miles in the air and just go up 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 up. And that'd be heaven. great. Stairway to but heaven. We, 
Yeah. Well, so there are two ways. I mean, you can go How, back, but in the long run, I mean, it's still time to change the road you on. Is jet fuel cheaper than rocket At the fuel? moment, yes, by a lot. Okay. So then why is it that we were transporting the shuttle when it's here on Earth by piggybacking it on, a, on the back of a big jet, but we wouldn't put it into space by piggybacking it up to the highest uh, altitude possible, detaching it, and then letting it just fire rockets to go into space? Because um, the atmosphere is a lot thinner and you got a lot, lot less uh, space that to go. That kind of strategy is actually what was done in the early rocket planes, in the early spacecraft. In fact, some, oh, okay. some spacecraft now, for example, I think one of the commercial spacecraft done by some billionaire or another, right, reaches space by doing precisely that. You carry some sort of a rocket on some sort of a plane, and then you let the rocket go, and then the rocket takes it the rest of the way. The rocket engine is way more expensive to build uh, than uh, the jet okay. engine. I, I, so even if you save on fuel, Right, even if it's just hydrogen and oxygen versus some hydrocarbon or something, in construction. making the rocket work and not blow up that's and right. not move and <laughs> not change—that's like that. a lot harder yeah. than getting a jet engine on an airplane. With. Plus, it is not the majority cost of what's going on. So you got to watch you. out where you—it's—it's—you got to watch it where you, it's, 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 you, where you spend, spend your money. money. I got yeah. you. And, and, and the real deal is this: the moment you say, uh, "If we can get it up there without it blowing up, that's where you lost." <laughs> I'll see you when you get back. I will see you if you get Sadly, back. Sadly, it's true. If you get Let's try back, to get a couple more questions right. in here. All right, I'll jump in with this one because uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, back to Star Trek, just as a spoiler. Connor Holm, um, in Star Trek, what is your favorite example of a scientific prediction slash concept that actually became true but wasn't proven at the time? Ooh, I know my answer, but Ooh. I want to hear everybody else's answer. I have an answer, but I don't know if it would, I don't know if it, it fits. Really? But, okay, so yeah. here's, here's my answer. My favorite thing that has come true is the communicator. Mm, Indeed, yeah. all we have to do today is to pick up a something a little rectangular and say, Scotty. Mm-hmm. Right? And okay. Scotty can hear you. Yes, kept it. Oh, sorry, that's Chekhov. Uh, same same, same uh, idea. Get your accent right? straight, dude. Okay. Yeah, you're worse than me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in fact, our communicators are way more advanced than anything they, they use in Star than Trek. Anything Star Trek ever had. Correct. How about That's that when okay. he just touches uh, by the, the way, badge? There was a, uh, how about he just touches his Starfleet badge and all of a sudden right. he opens up comms? Mm -hmm. That sort of touch, that touch activity on smartphones that, we, that didn't exist at the time that now does? Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. It's amazing. Yeah. Mine would be talking to your computer and the computer oh, talks nice. back, which is their, fo their nice. form of uh, artificial intelligence. Computer, nice. please tell me. And then the computer would give you yeah. information. So, and we have that today. Nice. Like, that's Voice not science fiction that's anymore. Great right. That's great. Right. Good point. Right. Okay. And they don't use keyboards, right? That's not a thing. Yeah. No, yeah, they, yeah. yeah. No. Is it my no. turn here? Yes. Yes, it is. Go ahead. But Gary, did you give your answer? I did. That. You touch the Starfleet badge, and all of a sudden you're calling. Oh, the touch of the badge, badge touching. Touch, just a touch. Screen. Badge touching. Yeah. So I have two answers. One, which I never thought would ever happen, happened. We can just walk up to a door, and it will open. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, even then, you could go to a supermarket. No, 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 that. no, Every no. Door no. The supermarkets of the day had a touch a pad, pad on the floor. And you step on the pad, yeah. it would complete a circuit, and that oh, would open okay. the door. Okay. But there were no pads. They would just walk up and the door just somehow knew that they were there. And I said that. That's because there were two guys on either side of the door. Yeah. Going. 
Post-production must have had a blast with that shit. So I, I was, Fuck. I said, I believe the photon torpedoes, the aliens, mm. the warp drive, mm. but door opening, just by walking up to it, never. Okay? <laughs> that's my first one. Another one, I don't think it was developed yet, even if the science was there, and maybe they wouldn't have known about it, but they have this machine that instantly heats food, which is basically oh, be a yes. modern... The I replicator. Think it also, I, the replicator. Well, I don't know if it's a replicator or it's just something that makes the hot food. I mean, the replicator doesn't necessarily heat it, right? So there's this, this cavity where so I want some chicken soup. They push a button and hot chicken chicken soup comes out. That's right. I, oh, okay, I count yeah. that like as a microwave oven. That's the I know, original but is that Star not Trek. A precursor yeah. to 3D printing. Ooh. Well, the replicator is a yeah, the replicator, I would yeah. say. The replicator would be the 3D yeah, printer. So that's that's, that's yeah. another one that yeah. they've got to consider as well. Wow. And you know, oh, there was geez. a big prize. Was it an X prize even that was announced? For the tricorder? Uh, the tricorder, yes. Yes, tell everybody about that. Oh, well, tricorder was the thing that Bones waved over somebody and figured out exactly what was wrong with them medically. Yeah. And so, I'm a doctor, not a computer technician. <laughs> right. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Right. right. So the whole point was, that if we somehow could do the same through uh, remote sensing, yeah. just wave right. something over somebody and get all kinds of things, vital signs, things like that. We're getting close okay. already, actually. Yeah. For example, now we can take people's temperatures without touching them. Just right. aim that little right. thing. And then right. you get the radio, you know, the infrared off of the surface. That was a NASA, NASA thing, by the way. That's right. Oh, yeah. absolutely. For a tricorder yeah. to so, work, would you need to have certain implants in the body that would allow oh, It would help, that, but it would not be he's, necessary. He's lucky just scanning a code then, aren't you? That's right. Yeah, that would be right. very useful, but it would not be necessary. Okay. The whole point of the tricorder is that you can just diagnose what's wrong just by remote sensing. And yeah. some things you But can you know, we're really close already because we're using light. So, the, the, you know, a yeah. lot of these instrumentations uses light mm -hmm. to actually get the reading from the body. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, so that's photonic. Know, we're, we're, so, so, Charles, so there are two kinds of, of, of tools then. One of them is receiving whatever your body is giving it. So mm -hmm. if your body's like radiating a little warmer, you see that extra high right. temperature infrared. It's a passive receipt. Passive. But another one, maybe you'd have to like have the person walk in front of x-rays and then <laughs> the, the, it reads something right. that you've actually I mean, put through the body. Right. Now the, Dop the Doppler radar for weather forecasting, for example, you do that. You send a radar pulse down to the ground, it comes back up. And depending on what it's like when it comes back up, what the time delay is, how strong it is, and things like that, you know whether there were clouds, whether it's raining, whether it's right. clear. Or how, like how much rain there was even. Yeah. Right. Yeah. By the same yeah. token, maybe it can send some sort of pulse, a harmless piece of information, uh, mm -hmm. radiation down through the body or onto the skin. When it bounces back, it can read the results and see, ah, yes, this person has a skin infection of right. this yeah. kind on mm -hmm. their, Look at that. you know, that part of their skin. And therefore, we need to... Uh, Run. Or, Captain... You need to cut off their arm. Oh, no, no. Which is my answer to everything medically. Uh, <laughs> what? Look at that. We're living in the future, people. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyhow, guys, we're out of time. Oh, but that was a good oh damn. It was a good damn. question to end on. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, we, all, we each had our own little bit of thing there. So, very good. Star Talk Special Edition with the one and only Charles Lou. Charles, thanks for coming in for this. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Great to have me. Undisputed Geek in Chief, Charles. You Lee. guys are too kind. Thank you. All so right. Much. Star Talk Special Edition signing out. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Keep looking up. Come on. Come on.